Hello and welcome to A History of the United States. Episode 64. Native Americans Fall. After the Ice Age. Remember that this is a listener-supported podcast. If you like the show and want it to continue, then please consider signing up for membership. Membership of this podcast gives you access to the membership feed, an exclusive series of episodes, expanding upon what we cover in the free feed, with a new episode out every two weeks. It only costs $4.99 per month and allows me to make this show. If you want to sign up, all you have to do is go to the website, thehistoryofpodcast.com, and click on the PayPal subscription button. Around 8000 BC, a revolution began to race through prehistoric America. As the continental ice sheet began to retreat and the climate warmed, the situation which had lasted in North America for the past few thousand years could no longer continue. About 4,000 bands of two dozen people were spread across the North American continent. They were bands of hunter-gatherers. While hunting was the most glamorous of these, they were certainly gatherers who hunted, not hunters who gathered. But their world was changing. The large game animals were disappearing, but probably not due to overhunting. Many species went extinct, and not just the game animals, which seems to indicate climactic factors. While the humans certainly killed a portion of the animals on the continent, the tundra that had been their home simply disappeared to be replaced by the vegetational zones, which had previously been confined to the lower reaches of the continent. As the tundra moved northwards, the high-altitude sunlight was less able to support grazing animals. As the ecology of the North American continent changed, humans had to adapt, and in doing so, we have to refer to the Paleo-Indians as something else. The large herds moved north. Creatures such as caribou could now only be reached by those living in the far north. With the absence of migratory animals, the whole system of Native American life was forced to change. They would find new sources of food, plants such as squash, which appeared at set locations. Funnily enough, plants do not tend to migrate, so humans no longer needed to. One major food source that did migrate were the fish of the Great Rivers, but these could only be hunted at specific locations. It was not possible to follow the fish around, and so, again, this reinforced a trend towards settling down. While the term has quite a complicated usage, this is what we can broadly call the Archaic Period, and has several subcategorizations. One of the first areas of archaic culture to appear was Eastern Archaic. For about 8000 BC, Eastern Archaic established itself along the eastern coast of North America, from the subarctic in the north 
through New England and into the southeast. This is quite a broad area, which helps explain why Eastern Archaic is one of the most diverse cultures in the Archaic period. People would live in small, circular houses with a wooden frame, and then cover it with bark. There is a rather impressive settlement at Poverty Point, Louisiana, in which houses were centred around a central plaza. They would cook by placing hot rocks into containers made from wood, bark, or animal hide in order to boil them, or by using fire pits to roast and bake. They would hunt birds and fish and mammals, as the inhabitants of the region would continue to do so until the arrival of the Europeans. One of the distinctions of the Archaic period is the advance in technological sophistication. Spears became better, as were other hunting techniques and traps. Chipped flint became news, and polished stone tools were used, such as axes. Partly reflecting the greater availability of fish, we can detect more nets and bone hooks of ever-increasing sophistication. One of the other things that happened in North America around this time was the arrival of the domesticated dog. There is a passage I found in Dean Snow's work, The First Americans, and the differentiation of hunter-gatherer cultures, about this, which I have to include. Quote, The domesticated dog appeared in America sometime during the Archaic. The dog developed from wild ancestors in the Eastern Hemisphere, perhaps domesticating itself as much as it was domesticated by humans. It whimpers like a human baby, and in this, and other ways, elicits a sympathetic reaction from people." End quote. Based upon the reaction of my best friend whenever she sees a dog, I can confirm this is well and truly the case. Change was accelerated by what seems to have been a wave of new arrivals from the West around 6000 BC, although, as I've said previously, we cannot be sure that this is what happened. We do know for certain that there was a new point design which began to emerge at around 8500 BC that crossed the continent, but we cannot be completely sure whether or not this was just a change in fashion that spread, or an actual movement of people. This is the sort of discussion that tends to dominate scholarship of the Eastern Archaic. I don't really want to go too much into that. I don't think it would be particularly helpful with understanding what was happening. To again quote Dean Snow, The Eastern Archaic, as a culture type, is difficult to comprehend if discussed only in terms of a myriad of regional projectile point types. It can even be a misleading exercise, given the general failure of the point types to conform consistently well to our temporal and cultural categories. It is more likely that the hunter-gatherers of the eastern woodlands can be understood best through an examination of the developmental trends of all of these archaic cultures over time. Indeed, the same general trends characterise post-Pleistocene cultural evolution everywhere in North America. The adaptive strategies of archaic cultures collectively reveal the character of this culture type. 
For 5,000 years following 8,000 BC, North America was a vast laboratory in which hunter-gatherer cultures conducted careful experiments in adaption. Progress was very slow, for there is wisdom in conservatism when the consequences of failed innovation are severe. End quote. As people started staying in one place, population density started to increase, with more and more tribes being compressed into smaller areas. This had some interesting effects. Social dynamics might have remained at a tribal level, but a greater emphasis seems to have been placed on social boundaries through things such as funerary monuments. The old egalitarian system began to disappear, and social ranking became important. It also had fascinating cultural implications. The key reason for this was that tribal bands did not grow bigger as the population increased, there were just more tribes. Civilization didn't really advance beyond the tribe, and without a more developed social system, it became impractical for people to deal with more than about 500 people, as things had always been. But since there were more tribes, people had to travel a smaller distance in order to reach those 500 people. With the breakdown in long-distance communication, talking to people far away suddenly wasn't important, and local areas started to develop their own languages, which were mutually unintelligible in contrast to the earlier era. We suspect that this is the era most proto-languages in North America developed. We are only aware of a fraction of these languages, but it's possible there were many as a hundred. From here, we move westwards to the Plains Archaic Tribes. Geography defines this region of America. The mountains of the Rockies demarcate the region's western borders, and the waters slope down across the region in the great rivers, such as the Missouri, all finding their way to the Mississippi in the east, and then southwards to the Gulf. This gives the plains two areas. The high plains are filled with short grasses, while in the lower ground to the east, there are areas of long grass and woodland, which branch out westwards along the river valleys, such as the Missouri and the Arkansas. Back at the end of the last ice age, the plains was a moist region, and it was the preferred home of the large game, such as the mammoth, and they indeed stayed longer there than most other regions, although some large game remained. The Great Plains were the home of bison and elk, until very recently. As the Ice Age ended, the same trends affected the Plains Archaic peoples as the Eastern Archaic, although there could quite easily be differences in the specifics. The climate was more variable than the East, being cooler than the present day, between 7000 BC and 5000 BC, and then warmer until about 2500 BC, when temperatures began to settle on modern levels. This affected population levels. 
Settlement remained quite low until 2500 BC, when the region began to populate. The people were quite sparsely populated, living off a mixture of hunting the game animals and surviving off plants. The Plains Archaic peoples were pushed back when peoples from the woodland in the east arrived in several waves, one about 100 BC and another about 900 AD, although these groups were not completely permanent. In extended periods of drought, they would retreat back to the east, since they were unable to make their agricultural enterprises successful. Then, finally, there was Western Archaic culture. This was a much drier region, encompassing the deserts of Utah, Nevada, Arizona, stretching into Mexico, in addition to the coastal region of California. Due to the drier climatic conditions, much of the material of this region is very well preserved, including feces, which allows us to reconstruct diets. We can tell that game hunting remained important in the early Archaic, as did seed grinding. By 2000 BC, several of the Archaic trends were clearly noticeable in the Western Archaic, most notably the move away from large game hunting to mass hunting of small game animals. There are plenty of preserved rabbit bones. This developed much more than in other areas, which isn't exactly surprising. It wasn't like you could develop advanced agriculture in the desert. It might have not been as developed as it would become in the east, but don't allow yourself to think there wasn't any at all. The Hohokam tradition established itself between 300 BC and AD 500, along with the Mogollon tradition further east. This was part of a transition in which the hunter-gatherers were replaced by a more settled Pueblo culture, which we will deal with later. But this balance was again altered in the centuries before the European arrival. The societies grew smaller following a series of droughts, allowing the region to become vulnerable to hunter-gatherers from the north, the Nadene. The Nadene were originally from Western Canada, and they were the ancestors of the Navajos and the Apaches, hunter-gatherer tribes who absorbed some traditions from the more settled Pueblos. We don't know exactly when this transition occurred, some think it might have been as early as AD 500, but there is very little strong evidence for the Navajos and Apaches in the southwest before 1500. California was quite densely populated, with around 300,000 or 400,000 people living there. The environment of California was particularly rich, meaning that most of these people remained hunter-gatherers. They had little reason to turn to agriculture. The tribes of the northwest coast were hunter-gatherers too. This was due to the plentiful amount of natural resources, such as the salmon on the Columbia and Fraser rivers, but it had a very different climate. This is going to be news to nobody, but it rains in the Pacific Northwest. It really, really rains. My own Manchester has a reputation of being a wet place, and it has an average annual rainfall 
of 787mm. Some places on the Olympic Peninsula have an average annual rainfall of 3,500mm. Most of this rain falls during a mild winter which creates a temperate rainforest. It also made it difficult for humans to access the richness of the region. While it might have been hard to access, it was evenly spread out, and this meant there was very little reason for communication, aside from trade up and down rivers. To the north was the subarctic and hunters of that region, where the large game animals had retreated with the ice sheets, and then in the far north with the last arrivals, the Eskimos. This area was what would become Canada, so we're not particularly interested in it for the purposes of our story, which will focus upon the United States, at least so much as I'm capable of focusing on anything, so expect us to have several episodes on this in the future. This is where we're going to end things for this week. If you want to support the show, there are several ways you can do that. You can visit the website, thehistoryofpodcast.com. That is the place to go if you're interested in signing up for membership or any of our added extras, such as maps. You can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash thehistoryofpodcast, and Twitter, at HistoryJamie. Feel free to send me an email if you have any questions, comments, or concerns. The address is thehistoryofpodcast at gmail.com. I'll see you in two weeks when we get into Native American farming. Thanks for listening.